KPBS On Demand is supported by the Museum of Contemporary Art San Diego, offering visitors to the La Jolla campus special exhibitions, collection galleries, coastal vistas, seaside dining, and more. MCASD.org. From KPBS and PRX, this is Port of Entry, where we tell cross-border stories that connect us. I'm Alan Lilienthal. And I'm Natalie Gonzalez. That's right, compas. We have a new co-host. Woohoo! Yeah, Natalie. <laughs> Welcome to the show, Natalie. <laughs> hey, yes, hello. Yo soy Natalie Gonzalez, your new co-host for Port of Entry, and I am really, really excited to be here and tell you stories about my home, the border. And I'm super excited to have you. You know, as much as I love Tijuana with all my heart, it's nice to have someone who was born there and who's really seen the evolution of Tijuana throughout their whole lives. So today in Port of Entry, we've got a tour guide bonus episode for you. It's where we ask people who live on both sides of the border to take us on a little tour of an actual place in the borderlands that means a lot to them. And this tour guide episode is extra special because Natalie is going to be our guide and take us somewhere very important to her. So this is, this is, I love this place. And yeah, even the so smell, cool. even the see, smell. See, no, it's, it's like, it, you, can see that. You, can, you can, you can tell that magic has been made. Right? Here. Right. But also, we thought that while Alan was using an episode to introduce me, we would go ahead and reintroduce you to Alan, too. Yeah, it's cool, right? <laughs> so we're going to give you a chance to finally learn a lot more about this beautiful voice who's been guiding you through these border stories for the past years. We'll dive into both of our stories right after a quick break. Quédate con nosotros. <laughs> beautiful voice. <laughs> That's very nice. <laughs> what a nice way to start my day. Hello, podcast listener. Full disclosure, I'm going to make some assumptions about you. This probably isn't the only podcast you enjoy. Blink if I'm right. <laughs> it's probably not the only thing you watch or listen to on KPBS either. If I'm right about that, then I'm guessing you make it a point to check in on a regular basis to see what's new, take in the latest and greatest, and then you go back to your daily life until we happily come together again. We're sort of like a virtual buffet. When you're hungry for information and entertainment, you go to KPBS and want to eat, uh, consume all you can, right? Well, you should know that when you become a member of KPBS, you're keeping the entire TV, radio, and online trays full of fresh ideas, like the tasty podcast you're enjoying right now. Help feed your appetite for KPBS. Become a member today. Just go to kpbs.org, click the blue Give Now button, and make a donation. Thank you. Ok, ready. Estamos de regreso en el podcast. Hey. ¿Qué onda? How are you? Estoy un poco sudado, <laughs> So, I recently met up with Natalie at a small performance venue in downtown Tijuana. Cool. ¿Dónde? So where are we in Tijuana? Estamos, eh... Uf, ¿cómo te explico eso? Estamos enfrente de la Cacho. 
La Cacha está justamente cruzando este boulevard. So this is the boulevard, one of the most famous boulevards in Tijuana. And if we cross that boulevard, that's La Cacho. So that we could say that we're in downtown Tijuana? Yeah, yeah. Because downtown is just here, sí, sí. like two blocks away. The theater is called Teatro Las Tablas, and it's run by a local company called Tijuana Hace Teatro. It's dark in here. It is dark. You're gonna love booty, it. You're booty. gonna love it. I feel okay. it's definitely your style of okay. place. The kind of place that you will love here. Okay, so Alan, this place is really important for me. It means a lot, a lot. It is really, really deep in my heart. Hmm, why? Because I think in this place is where I realized that theater is the one thing that I want to do for the rest of my life. Like for the rest of my life, I want to say something to someone with art and I want to make people laugh and I just want to talk about what I care with art. And I could I could have chosen like a lot of places in Tijuana porque I grew up here. Pero I think that this is the one that is closer to who I am right now and closer to what I believe right now. You know, so that's why I chose this place. So the theater Natalie wanted to show me is really very small. Yeah, if it's just 40 people. But its smallness is a big part of what I really love about it. Wow. This is great, right? This is super cool. So, 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 so here's where the actors are and like the audience would be up there? The audience up there and also here. It's so, it's so intimate. Like, it is so intimate. It that's, is, cool. that, that's the thing I love about this place, that it is really intimate. And actually, either whether you're sitting over there as the member of the audience or you're standing here as an actor, it's really intimate experience. Mm -hmm. So, Natalie, you actually have a vivid memory that illustrates that intimacy really well. You were in the audience one night watching a play instead of acting in it, right? Yeah, that's right. And I was so close to the actors on the stage that the scene really hit me hard. Justo mi corazón. Ay, ay. The actress was looking, looking me in the eye while she was saying while she was saying the words, and I was crying while she was looking at me in the wow. eyes. And it was super intimate, and I, I have that, that image in my mind. So she, she close to my heart. She amazing as an actress. Like, to be yeah, I, I'm sure she was like, I made someone cry. Yeah, that's incredible. <laughs> and I was sharing a tear while she was saying her wow, lines, wow. and it was, that was beautiful. Okay, Natalie, so that was a little bit about who you are now. Yeah. But I also want to understand how exactly you got to this place in your life where theater is your thing and the thing you love most. Yes, okay. So after the tour of the theater, we sat down to talk. We did, and we had a great time, actually. Can you tell me about some of your early memories growing up in Tijuana, like some of the, some memories that stick out of running around in your... Your, some of your grandpa's markets in downtown. I have a really big family. My dad, he has a bunch of siblings and they all share this business. So I would be just running around with all of my cousins all around this market. So it's two markets, uh, Mercado Hidalgo and Mercado de Abastos. So we would get a lot of free food, a lot of free cheese, a lot of candy, a lot of 
just watermelon. We were always eating oranges all around, just walking around, playing hide-and-seek while eating fruits and vegetables. I think that is something, like, really Mexican, like a really Mexican way to grow up, just to be, you know, walking around the mercados, and they're also called street markets or los sobreruedas. And I, I had a really beautiful childhood with all of my cousins who are like my siblings and with all of my siblings. There's this place called Brenda's where you can just buy uh, candy or oatmeal and a lot of things. And I would always not steal because it's my family's business. But I would just walk around <laughs> and just like open this little this little box and grab a bunch of candies and then just run. Sounds like a dream when you're a kid just to go around picking whatever fruit and candy you want from the market. It sounds incredible. It, it was a dream. It was really beautiful. And it was really colorful, super colorful. I remember because there, there were a lot of piñatas all around the place. So whenever I think about those memories, it's always colorful. I am, I'm always thinking about colors, fruits, vegetables, candy, piñatas. So it's, it's beautiful to remember all of that. I don't go there anymore. And it hurts sometimes because whenever I'm there, it feels like home. Do you remember some of the, or the first times you crossed the border? Of the memories that, that ha had a lot of impact I, I remember we crossed the border because we wanted to buy some toys because one of my cousins, he was going to have a birthday party. And I remember coming back, my dad received a phone call from my uncle and he was like, you know what, someone broke into your house and everything is destroyed. Hmm. And my dad didn't say anything. I just remember he was super, super scared. And when we were driving in La Vía Rápida, the uh, Mexican freeway, you could say it's a freeway, I saw, we saw our dogs. They were standing in the freeway. And I remember thinking, what the heck? Why, what are they doing there? Like, my dogs, why are they standing there in the freeway? I remember thinking, like, maybe they were waiting for us. Like, I was like, what, what were they doing? Like, why aren't they home? And so what happened is that my dogs, they tried to follow the robbers So they ended up in the freeway. And I remember, I remember so clearly, we were coming back from San Diego, from, from Target, just to buy toys. And then I found my dogs in the street. And then my house was completely, completely, everything was... I, I, I never saw my house because my, my dad, he wouldn't allow, allow us to go inside. Because mm -hmm. apparently everything was just... Todo estaba volteado, todo estaba destrozado. O sea, rompieron cosas, se llevaron mil cosas, voltearon las camas, fue horrible. I never saw that. I never saw that because my dad no nos dejó. But I remember that seeing, like, coming from San Diego, de tener un día muy bonito y hermoso, and then llegar a mi casa, and everything was completely destroyed. And mm. thankfully, my dogs were okay. They were fine, and I, I always remember them because obviously they passed away because this was like more than 15 years ago. But uh, I remember like, damn, my dogs, they were true Mexican dogs, like trying to get the robbers. <laughs> hmm. So there's this other story you told me about. It's about the moment your family got green cards. This is a moment that lives in my memory. 
we were all opening our envelopes with our cards and she was like I didn't get one and we, and my mom was like what do you mean you didn't get one we all got ours she was like no I, I didn't get mine and I just remember she started crying and my uncle was like it's okay this can be your home until you get your green card it's okay don't worry you're gonna be fine and she was like but I need to go back to my school and I need to finish high school and graduate and we were and she was like and my family is going back and I'm gonna stay here by myself and that that moment is like in my mind I can remember the color of the walls around me I can remember my sister standing in the hallway crying and hugging my uncle And just me thinking, so that, does that mean that I'm going to go back to my room and sleep by myself? Because I sleep with my sister, and does that mean now I'm going to sleep by myself? That was really, that's a really hard memory, but it's mm. also, I don't know, I think it's really important because I think that was the first time that I, that I realized I was living in Tijuana in a border town, mm. and that had a lot of weight. Yeah, it was like before you didn't you didn't realize the implications of like cross because it was it was just easy. Mm -hmm. Until until that precise moment. But it was hard because I was so used. My sister, she's my best friend, so I was so used to to do everything with her because it's my two brothers and then me and my sister. So it was always me and her, and then she was not there anymore so it was it was really it was pretty tough at first but I mean you get used to that mm -hmm. you get used to the tough life <laughs> so not long after that moment when your sister had to stay in the US to finish school the rest of your family had their green cards so they started to live more of a cross-border life right Yeah, exactly. So my parents, they both got jobs in San Diego and my sister and one of my brothers, they started studying in San Diego too. How did that change from being mostly in Tijuana to being cross-border? How did that change you? I think that hit me a lot that out of nowhere, my family was in another country. Mm. And it was just my oldest brother and me at home. Mm -hmm. That hit me a lot because I grew up super close with my siblings. We were always together. We would always do everything together. So that was, that's, I think that's, that's a really relevant part of, of mm. being transfronterizo, of being fronterizo to me that, well, your family, sometimes they just, you get separated from them. How did you cope with that separation? TV. Lots of TV, a lot of Disney Channel shows. So basically, television was my babysitter, pretty much. Wow, is that is that how you learn how to speak English? Mm, yeah, totally. And it's also how I first got interested in acting, too. Mm, so TV can be good for you sometimes. Sometimes. <laughs> When I was eight years old or nine years old, I somehow because of all of these shows from Disney Channel and Nickelodeon I developed like an obsession with with becoming an actress and play a character on TV mm. and how long did it take you to start really pursuing it I, I mean I know in elementary school 
you started, you joined the drama club, right? Is that, is that mm-hmm. not really the first time you were like, you, you took those dreams and gave them some, some reality? Yeah. So, so I, I, I mean, it's been a ride, of course. Now I don't, I don't want to be on TV. I don't want to make movies or anything. And it's because I think it's because I fell in love with theater and I realized that theater is way more real than anything in the world. I'm not doing this for fun anymore. I mean, I, I am, but I think this is what I want forever. Like, I always want to share with people forever. It's beautiful. So can, can I go back a little bit? Like, I, I know at the, time you, at the time that you started spending a lot of time alone and started falling asleep with TV and, and acting and playing characters... You, it, you said that you also started is when you started becoming aware of your anxiety and insecurity and stuff like that. Mm. Where the can you talk a little bit about maybe where those fears came from? Was it just being alone and and was playing characters like the way to kind of escape that? I I think I was never aware of my anxiety, of course, because I didn't even I've never heard the word anxiety when I was a kid or when I was a teenager. So I think for me. I was a really insecure kid. I would always be scared of something. Uh, there was always something going on in my head that I was scared of, whether going to sleep by myself or or even just going to sleep because I would have nightmares or just learning how to swim. There was always a fear that I would have, and I think that was obviously anxiety. And so something that I wasn't aware of back then Like, I was so insecure and so fearful, but somehow I wasn't scared to do theater. And it was, honestly, it was like a therapy session for me. It's not anymore, of course. Now I go to real therapy, but... (laughs) (laughs) So, Natalie, just like your relationship to theater has changed over the years, your relationship with the city of Tijuana has also evolved, too. Yes, it has evolved a lot, actually. Yeah, because when you were growing up, Tijuana was... A completely different place. It was suffering from a huge spike in cartel violence. Mm, people were there yeah. were shootings out in the open, and people were getting kidnapped. Yes, and actually, yeah, that was horrible. Uh, I knew a lot of people who were impacted by this and during the worst of it. And I basically became a homebody and missed a lot of my friends' parties and quinceañeras because it just seemed too dangerous and risky to go out during that time. Yeah, yeah, I bet I can't imagine. And actually, my best friend's dad got kidnapped. And wow, yeah, I mean, eventually he got home safely, thankfully, but that was still very, very scary. Yeah, that sounds terrifying. So it was experiences like that, I imagine, that made you sort of start not liking Tijuana for a while. If I remember how I pictured Tijuana back then, I would use the word gray. Like, I would say like a gray color that's that's Mm -hmm. gray or something like um like brown that's how i remember it like a lot of just just everything gray because there was for me there was nothing going on and also because i would always stay home and Mm -hmm. i didn't even know my city but for me it was a place where there were no opportunities that's why i wanted to move to the states there were no opportunities to grow here there was no no point in on staying here to study because I was going to graduate and do what? And so I, 
I don't know. I think I think, and I and I don't feel bad about this because I think it was a process. But I I really thought Tijuana was a horrible place. It was my home. It really felt like my home because I knew the place and I was used to the place. But I I I hated it. It was just gray. That it, it had no color for me. Hmm, yeah, that's really interesting how when you were telling me about your youth in Tijuana, you remember all these colors from the mercados, the piñatas, las frutas. And then as you got older, the color of the city kind of faded for you. Nowadays, though, you said the color and brightness of Tijuana has finally returned for you. So how did that transformation happen? So my, my university, it's a Jesuit university. So they would they would teach us a lot about human rights, a lot. So all of my classes, they were always focused on human rights. Film, radio, everything was always about human rights. So I, I, I started researching because my major was really focused on research. So I started researching about social issues in Tijuana. And I really, it's going to sound weird if I use these words, but this is what happened. I fell in love with the human trafficking, sex trafficking topic because I thought it was like super, super big and super intense. And I was like, man, this is going on a lot in Tijuana. What what are we doing about it? Is there like a shelter or what happens to these people that get rescued? Like, do they, do they get rehab? Like they need to get some sort of rehab, right? So I just started researching a lot. And I ended up at this place uh, called Red Binacional de Corazones. And it's a shelter for kids who were victims of sex trafficking or just human trafficking in general. They get rehab, they get uh, art, art classes, music, dance, everything that they need. They go to swimming lessons. They do everything that they need to get better for when they go back to society. And I met a lot of people who were doing art with a social cause. And I realized, damn, Tijuana is pretty cool because... I mean, there are a lot of issues, but there's also a lot of people, a lot of artists doing a bunch of cool things to improve the city. So I think it was, that was probably, I can't remember the year, but I was probably like 21, 22 years old when I I realized that there were a lot of creative spaces in the city with with a lot of social costs, with with a lot of impact in our society. And there there were a bunch of, coffee shops doing every Sunday uh, just things to raise money for some cause and just a bunch of theater small theater places doing stuff and people dancing to talk about social issues and I, I just started to fall in love with Tijuana Okay so back inside that theater you love in downtown Tijuana you told me about how proud you are of the city now i am very proud of my city i love tijuana honestly yeah, especially you said when it comes to this tight-knit theater community i think it's really strong even with the pandemic i think it's been pretty strong because they haven't stopped like they they haven't stopped doing and when i say they i mean all the companies i mean all the companies here in tijuana but I'm guessing that at some point you want to leave Tijuana and do the whole theater actor dream. Maybe go to New York and do Broadway. Yeah, that would be great. But you know what? Like, even if that happens and I run off to New York for a while, eventually I will come home. 
I always want to come back because there's a lot of talent here in Tijuana and there's an, a big opportunity to make it grow. Like all the theater scene in Tijuana, we need to make it grow. And mm -hmm. if I just leave mm -hmm. to become like a bigger actress, well, this is the place that made me an actress. So I, I need to always come back here. And I mean, I wouldn't mind just staying here forever and do theater here because I think it's a perfect place to make theater here. I would love to try Broadway because I love musicals. I'm obsessed with musicals. You have no idea. Obsessed. But I always want to come back here. I mm -hmm. always want to do everything here. And sure, why not tour a little bit? But like my goal is to make it grow here. Yeah. So, yeah, you just heard about my nerdy obsession for arts and theater. But now, it's Alan's turn. God, finally. I'm used to it being only about me. <laughs> Diva. You, you can't see it right now, but in, in, at night, the, the border is like right there, and it's really mm -hmm. bright and lit up. And if you didn't know it was a militarized border, you'd be like, oh, that's really pretty. There's some yeah. nice lights. You <laughs> oh, know, like, beautiful. beautiful. That's coming up soon. But first, a quick break. No se vayan, no muevan sus nalguitas. <laughs> Long ago, when the public square was the only place to share news, events, and happenings, people were drawn to it. Living in community with others was the route to understanding each other and the world around us. The public square has changed dramatically, but our need to learn and understand one another has it. This is Port of Entry. The Parker Edison Project. Listener supported KPBS Cinema Junkie. Thank you for listening to KPBS Podcast and for being part of our region's virtual public square, where you learn not only about the headlines of the day, but about culture, music, and the issues that are important to all of us. Help keep the virtual square alive and well. Support podcasts like the one you're listening to right now. Just go to kpbs.org, click the blue Gift Now button, and make a donation. And thanks again. Y ya estamos de regreso. Yes. Entonces, before we get to your special place at the border, Alan, I want to go back in time, like way, way, way back in time to even before you were born. Okay. Which was like ages ago. Because your family has a pretty interesting origin story. Well, my great-grandparents, it was actually my great, some of my great-grandparents, some of my great-great-grandparents were from Eastern Europe and It was not a nice situation for Jewish people, mm. to say the least, in that area of the world in those days. Um, they were, I guess, some of the smart ones who had the foresight to see what was happening. This was way before Nazi Germany. So they, I guess they were hip to what was happening and they were like, we gotta get the F out of here. Um, in the early 1900s. Uh, there was the pogroms. The pogroms were happening in like Russia and the Ukraine area. Um, and Jewish people had to either flee or have a very, very, very difficult life. Mm. So my great-grandparents and great-great-grandparents left. Some of them were trying to actually come to America, but 
in again Ellis Island was pretty packed long lines <laughs> um, so the next best thing was Mexico some of them had like some kind of connection like an uncle or something who had passed through Mexico and yeah they ended up they ended up in Mexico um, which I'm super grateful for to be honest not only to Mexico for welcoming them with open arms but being Mexican is one of my favorite things in the whole world obviously because it's wonderful <laughs> it's great food <laughs> yeah it's, it's an amazing it's an amazing culture to be a part of so fast forward to your mom and your dad meeting and falling in love and having three beautiful boys and you're the first one mm. you're the oldest one So what do you remember about your childhood in Mexico City? I only have a few memories, but I the ones that I do, I remember a lot of Mexico is a very is very big on family. As I'm sure you know, Mexico is family is such a just bedstone of everything we do. Yeah. So I, I I I remember most of my memories from Mexico are are really spent with family. Like every Saturday I would go to Sanborns, which there's yeah. one in Tijuana. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah, with the, with my grandpa. I was the first one. It started. I was the first one, so it was only me and my grandpa in the beginning. But eventually, like every every time there was a new grandchild on the block, they would join the party. By the time I left Mexico City, I think it was three of us: me, my brother Ita, and my cousin Ariela. Um, and I just, I just, I have very beautiful memories, to be honest, of Mexico. I remember really loving. This is not Mexican at all, but I remember like there was this. I've never seen this in America, but in the Mexico Kentucky Fried Chicken uh, KFC, they had this like gravy mashed potato thing that was a kind of like Mexican. Oh, oh yes. my god, it was the best! My mom would take me when I was like as like a treat every once in a while. So most of my memories in Mexico are around just food and being around family a lot. So, what was it like as an eight-year-old walking into a classroom in the U.S. for the first time? You didn't speak any English yet, right? Yeah, no, I spoke. I spoke. I didn't speak any English when I moved here. I, I spoke. I knew maybe how to say my name and how to, you know, like where's the bathroom. <laughs> um, but no, I didn't speak any English. I think it was similar to your experience of being aware of the border. I think it was. I think. The thing that strikes me most about moving to the U.S., it was the first time where I felt conscious of being separate from my environment, where I was like, oh, I am Alan, and this thing, that mm. this place I'm in is different from what I am. Whereas maybe before that, I don't know, you're just a kid and you kind of all just blends together. You're, you don't even, you're not really even really conscious of like, you know, what life is or who you are. But I think yeah. walking into that classroom in the first few weeks, I was so aware of how different, of like me being separate from my environment and not speaking the language. And it was very, you know, maybe it's because I'm super sensitive. Like, I guess some kids like adjust mm. better, but <laughs> it really like created some kind of schism. Like I really see that as what, like the birth of me being anxious or getting like overthinking what people are around me or saying or like looking at me in weird ways. I think it came, stems from from those oh. days because because it felt very alienating, um, and it doesn't seem like that big of a deal now. It's like, oh, dude, you were eight years old. You just moved from Mexico to the U.S. It's not a big deal. You were safe. You were in a good school. It's fine. But no, it was 
it was very mm. it was very yeah, disorienting it was, it was very disorienting for years i'm st- like it's still to this day i'm still kind of unraveling that the anxiety that that created here's <laughs> here's where we have some similarities actually i think we have a lot of similarities uh, you two have battled with anxiety, anxiety that started with that experience of feeling like an alien, like you said, an outsider, or feeling like you didn't fit in fit in when you came to the U.S. So how did you deal with that anxiety when you were young? Mm. Honestly, music saved my life, really, I think. Um, I don't think I know. A few weeks after we moved to to San Diego from Mexico, um, a music teacher I remember came into our classroom, and she started singing these songs that were exactly the same ones that we sang in Mexico. They were Hebrew songs because I went to a Jewish school, mm-hmm. and and like something subconsciously clicked where where I just music felt like the way like the tool to feel belonging. And to feel like it was the first time where like we, uh, me and my classmates were all singing the same songs. And it was like, oh, oh, we're not that different. Oh, we actually can can relate to each other. Where it felt like I, I felt a connection with them that I hadn't felt before. Um, so music became the thing. I started, mm-hmm. I remember in those days, like I started having, fan, like when you were watching TV, you know, like I started having fantasies and visions of like, being on stage and playing music for pe- for my classmates in Mexico City, like, nice. like going back to my friends and playing music for them, um, it just is the only thing that felt like home to me. It felt like like without like because I was so young and I didn't know how to use language, like and music came down and like sh- made me feel belonging. I think my I just my subconscious latched onto that and th- felt like music was the only way to to feel that. Mm. that was both like medicine to me and also became kind of a crutch um, where I started using music almost as, as an escape like because when I, whenever I would feel anxious instead of facing the anxiety or dealing with it I would just retreat into music and be like oh no this is what I'm going to do I'm just going to become really good at music mm-hmm. and not I mean I wasn't thinking like I'm not going to deal with this but but that's what I was doing so yeah, it took me a while to, to heal that so that I could come to music from a healthy place. You ended up taking a Greyhound bus from San Diego to New York and you went to college there. Mm. But music was still your main thing. Can you tell me about the label you started and what sort of things you did in the music scene in Brooklyn? That's pretty cool. So I moved to New York because I always, my intentions and my, my dream of music was always very pure and it always has been because music helped me so much early on feel belonging and feel feel like I had a place in this world that I always felt like I wanted to pass that on to other people and help other people, other artists, not only myself, but I wanted to help other artists have a platform in order to share that sense of belonging with people so that was always my dream and, and my and my vision for my life so so moving to New York was kind of a way to start watering that so when I moved to New York my brother was living here and we started this kind of 
record label art collective <laughs> experiment social experiment where we would we wanted to start a label where it wasn't about just the individual artist's ego you know it was more about this this community affair where we, we would like different artists would play on each other's records and then like it would also be visual artists and filmmakers and it wasn't just about music and we would all collaborate mm -hmm. with one another it would be like a big commune type thing but within the the model of a record label it was an amazing time i learned a ton about how to do that um we were throwing shows every weekend that were getting for a year or two packed and sold out every week um i started nice part of that was i was spray painting funny like almost like tweets before twitter like on the street announced like announcing these events that's actually why i don't have my century because the reason i don't have my century is because in those days i was spray painting a lot to oh, to promote these shows and i got arrested a couple of times um, oh my god yeah so i'm still still don't have my century that was almost almost 10 years ago but i learned a lot about how, how to how to create community and and the importance of community because i think in, in music it can be very easy again to to think that it's about your ego and like people thinking you're awesome yeah. and 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 i've thankfully remembered and realized that music is about the connection between us like music has been at the at the core of human communication since the beginning of time you know and around the fire in, in religions in religious services and, and everything music has this glueness to it that brings people together and i think that those times in new york in those early times really reminded me reminded me of that that it was it was about this community enrichment it wasn't just about the individual artists And that brings us to your tour guide portion of the show, Alan. All right, mi turno. So I took us to a little house on a hillside in Tijuana that overlooks downtown. And it's an epic view that stretches all the way to San Diego. Every morning I would come here to this ledge to meditate and nice. think about Tijuana, Tijuana, there's... I never get tired of thinking in t about Tijuana. What I think it's really curious is that you never lived here. And out of nowhere, you were just like, I'm going to move to Tijuana. Mm. What happened there? <laughs> How did that happen in your head? Like, oh, I'm just going to move to Tijuana. Like, I've never been there, but I'll, I'll just do it. Well, I had been here. Oh yes, so, when you were like, a kid. but yeah, like yeah, yeah. I didn't know. Yeah, but I. But you're right. Like I can't even say that like I knew Tijuana because it was like pretty much straight to the airport to go to La Ciudad de Mexico to visit my grandparents. It wasn't like I knew Tijuana in any way. I had you know like I can remember maybe once or twice as a kid going to like Tepos Nieves or Mundo Divertido. <laughs> like that's all I knew of Tijuana. So yeah, that it, it, it was a weird like it. I mean, my it shocked my parents when I decided to move to Tijuana because it, like classic like immigrant story like you know my dad worked so hard to leave Mexico to bring his kids to the states to like, give him better opportunity and, like and then his kids like I'm going to Tijuana and he's like what the f are you doing I love this story and it's also a, a strange one to tell for people who don't who believe in God or, or, or like the, this, the forces of the universe 
because I can't really, I really say this with my whole heart, I can't even say that I decided to move to Tijuana. I kind of just like listened and I said, okay, yes. Because I was, yeah, yeah, I was, I was, um, I was in a very dark place in my life and very lost it, when I was like 25, 26. Before that, I always kind of could see where I wanted my future to go. It kind of made sense. But in that moment, it, everything was like, I had no idea where I was going. I had just broken up with an ex-girlfriend a very long time that we had been dating for a very long time. Uh, I Music had lost its like juice for me. Like it just, I mean, I still loved music, but it was like, it felt like a traumatic relationship where like I needed it to feel, I needed it to feel a value. You know, like I needed it, I needed music to, to like, to feel like I had anything to offer and that wasn't healthy, you know? Because uh, then when I didn't have a guitar in my hand, like, who the f*** was I? I didn't know. Oh, wow. You know? It was, no, it was, it was, it got, it got dark. <laughs> but, and it was all about you. Like, it wasn't about music. It was all about you. Yeah. Like, a process that you were living. A like, hundred percent. You had to find yourself. A hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. It's like a codependent relationship with anyone, like, with a human. Like, you, it's, you have to find that stability and love within yourself to then enjoy the relationship. Yes. That's how it was with music. I was, like, using it to feel good. So, so I had to, I had to... I had to figure some shit out. So I, so I, the only thing that made sense to me since I couldn't see the future was to go into my roots. So I've always felt a deep sense of, you know, gratitude and wanting to yeah. give back to Mexico because without, like, I feel super me Mexicano, but like... You're super Mexican. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> me siento super Mexicano, but like, I also am aware of like, the history of how I, how I even got to be Mexican. And it's like, wow, okay. I feel a, a sense of responsibility, but that's not the point. So I, I, so I, so I was lost, and I left to Europe, to Eastern Europe. My only idea was to start in London and hitchhike all the way to Eastern Europe to see if maybe that process would teach me something about who I was and like what I wanted to do. I had no idea where I was. I didn't know if I was going to come back to America. I didn't know if I was going to move to. I didn't know where what was next. And during that time the Syrian refugee crisis happened. Mm. So I was in Europe like hitchhiking and like sleeping in train stations while there was like thousands and thousands of Syrian refugees coming to Europe. And there was this weird cosmic thing because it was like I was there to get to know the, the lands of my great grandparents who left Europe to, to Mexico like because they were being persecuted. And now there was uh, thousands of Muslims coming, or and, well, they were both religious, Christians and Muslims, coming to Europe, not being accepted, like being turned away as refugees. And I was there, like I, I the, the only thing that felt right to do was to volunteer at refugee camps and like help these people, just like I was, my family was helped at some point in Mexico. So it was this strange thing of like, it, made, it really connected me to who belongs in what land, like what belongs to who. If you're fleeing persecution, we're all just humans, right? And that's. And it reminded me why I even made music in the first place, which, which is like to music helped me find a sense of belonging and of like harmonizing with the people around me. So, so it was this wild thing. And during those times, I don't remember if it was one moment or, or what exactly happened, but during this time of like being deep with the Syrian refugees and contemplating how I got to Mexico and like what I, my role in the world, this like light bulb was in my head. It was like, you gotta go to Tijuana. And you told me something really interesting about how you felt when you moved here. You said that the minute you moved here, you just knew Tijuana was exactly where you belong. I mean, in general, Tijuana is the first time in my 
life where I've really felt at home, where I didn't question, is this where I'm supposed to live? You know, we have so many options now at our disp- like it's, it, I think the internet opened us up to the idea, before you had to stay where you lived, like that was the only thing you knew, your parents knew. Now, now we, you see everything on Instagram and you, I think as someone who, I was born in Mexico City, grew up in San Diego, kind of, you know, like in, in, in Mexico, no one believes me that I'm Mexican. In America, no one believes me that I'm Mexican. Yes. You feel like you don't belong. So, yeah, to or a like degree. you're not from here and you're not from there. Exactly. Like, the, 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 lo clásico que dicen la gente aquí, ni de aquí ni de allá. Like, that was me to my core. Uh, and Tijuana feels like home. Everyone feels that here. It's like, it's like, okay, but here is like, that makes you at home here. It's like this weird place where the border creates this kind of borderless culture, you know, where people from all, all over the world come here either seeking a better life in America or just get stay in Tijuana because there's a lot of opportunity here. The energy here, the spirit of the people here is very welcoming to, to people who feel like they don't belong anywhere else. So yeah, I have a lot of love for Tijuana. And this place that we're in right now, La Casa del Chucas, is the first place I moved to when I decided to move to Tijuana. So it's, it'll always hold a special place in my heart. And like, like right here, what we're looking at right now, this, this view, you know, it's not like a glamorous view. It's not yeah, but typically pretty. But I think that's what makes it so intriguing to me. Like you, at night, that's the border right there. You see it the, at, in La Noche, like all those lights are lit up. So it's this, there's a lot to think about here. It's like, especially if you have any kind of privilege and you can cross the border and you're looking down on this cerro where like, you know, there's like trash on the hills and there's like these houses built out of like, it seems whatever you could like, you know, wood pallets or whatever it is next to nice houses. It's like this crazy contrast. And San Diego's right over there, and it's like a completely different looking, the same land looks totally different in the way it's developed. So there's like, you know, like sitting up here gives me a lot to think about of how I want to contribute and how I want to, you know, contribute my creativity and my energy to the city and to the world, you know? Like all the forces of, of All the forces that, that we, it seems that we're, we're like trying to figure out as humans, like immigration and mm. climate change, it seems like they come to a head here. So this is why I know we will get along. Eres mi hermano, yeah, básicamente. Compass for life. <laughs> I love doing theater to talk about some of these difficult issues and to build a community. And I love making music for pretty much the exact same reasons. Exactly. And this brings us to your binational band. Tu lengua. Metele funk, baby. I formed Tu Lengua because, again, I think, I think music is the dissolves the barriers between us. When you're at a show with a thousand people or uh, ten people singing, singing a song, there's this feeling of communion that's unlike anything that I've ever felt. I think that's why music is used in spiritual ceremonies of all kinds. So so music, to me, is the best tool in dissolving the borders between us, you could say. So Tu Lengua 
was born out of this. I think around the time Trump was elected and there was all this being talked about, you know, the division at the border and more more wanting to build a stronger wall and a bigger wall and militarization. And, and it was all these people talking about the border in like Washington, D.C. or like people that had no idea what it was actually like to live here. And and not only to live here, but didn't even know the, the, the fluidity that already exists here, like the vast amount of collaboration and cooperation and things that happen in the border region. The conversation was so removed from the actual lived experience of of the border region and people who live crossing this border every single day that it felt to me, I don't know, it just happened very naturally. Like I, I wanted to create a band that could represent that unity that I already knew existed in both sides of the border. That's it. That's us. Thank you so much. Gracias for taking the time to listen and to get to know us. Muchísimas gracias. And by the way, esa canción chingona that you're hearing right now, it's a song by Alan called Julio 22. Enjoy. Disfruten. Adiós. Qué buena rola, carnal. <laughs> Un vestido se deslizó. Luna llena que me encantó. Tú eres templo en mis sueños. Yo el buen soñador. Port of Entry is written and produced by Kinsey Morland. Emily Jankowski is the co-producer and director of sound design. Alisa Barba is our editor. Lisa Morissette is operations manager. And John Decker is the interim associate general manager of content. This program is made possible in part by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting, a private corporation funded by the American people. I'm Alan Liliental. And I'm Natalie Gonzalez. Muchas gracias por escucharnos. Thank you. No fue desvío si aquí llegó Si el destino nos escogió Aunque no sepa verlo Todo esconde el amor